0: Hey folks, Duncan Keeney here to remind you that the Progress Report continues to be a member of the mighty Harbinger Media Network, and Harbinger just released some exciting news. Three new shows were just added to the roster. The Breach Show is the first one I'm going to talk about. It's a weekly pod from the fine folks at The Breach, including Pam Palmater, Martin Lukacs, and L. Jones. I'm also very excited for Unmaking Saskatchewan, which is a project by Sarah Burrell, uh, an amazing writer who I love reading, so I'm excited to see what she can do in the podcast form, And finally, Victor's Children, which is an interview show focusing on the questions facing anti-capitalists today, hosted by University of Winnipeg labor and sociology scholar David Canfield. This is like the ninth expansion that Harbor has done, and the people involved continue to make amazing content. And I know it might be a little uncomfortable to dip out of your usual podcast routine, but trust me, these podcasts are definitely going to be worth it. And speaking of worth it, I have a quick question for you do you think what we do at the progress report is worth a few bucks in the six and a half years I've been running progress Alberta? I've never had to put out a fundraising call where it was absolutely necessary, where we needed a few thousand dollars to pay our bills and make payroll for the end of the month. But that is where we are at right now. Our current financial situation is not great. And while we do have a plan to become more financially stable, we need some donations right now to get us through this rough patch. So, if you want to help us out, there is a link for one-time donations in the show notes or you can go to progressalberta.ca slash donate hyphen one time with one time being all one word, but really the link will be in the show notes and you put in your credit card info and you donate. It's really simple. If you'd like to send an e-transfer, it's very easy to do that as well. You can send that to info at progressalberta.ca, but whatever you can donate, Jim and I would be very, very happy to take it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, hopefully, for your donations. And now, on to the show. Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney, We're recording today here in Mesquiche, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory, on the banks of the mighty Kasiskasaw, Wannisipi or the North Saskatchewan River. Joining us today is friend of the show and a Winnipeg-based writer and author, James Wilt. James, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I think it's your first time on the podcast. So you have, I think, written for the Progress Report in the past. So welcome to the pod.
1: Yeah. No, no. Thanks so much. Love love what uh, you do. Yeah,
0: and the reason uh, we had you on is an excellent piece that you recently published in uh, Briarpatch Magazine, uh, which we will of course link to in the show notes, and which I uh, I highly recommend. I have like a gazillion tabs open. Oh no, no, let me find it. The title is, or you can beat me to it. The myth of police as embattled heroes. And has incredible art, by the way. Whoever did the art, oh, Amanda Prieb, she did uh, fantastic work. And it's like, it's a 14-minute read. It's like, it gets in-depth into the subject. And I think that's why uh, I read it with so much interest, because there were so many parallels to what was going on in Winnipeg, to what is happening here in Edmonton. And let's let's get into the piece. You, you started off with you know, an anecdote about how Winnipeg cops wanted to be paid for working out. Um, and then like one of the insane reasons why they said they needed to be paid for working out was because people getting out of prison were also working out and then they were going to MMA gyms and they were getting really good at fighting (laughs) and, and it seems like a bit of an absurd, uh, like anecdote to start off with, but there there was a reason why you let off with that in your piece, right? Um,
1: yeah. So for starters, uh, The anecdote about getting paid to work out, I think, uh, was darkly funny. Um, So that was kind of why I started it that way. But I think it also depicts the constant self-victimization tendencies of police, not only in Winnipeg, but across Canada and and everywhere, really. Um, But more importantly, I think it, it demonstrates the way that the Winnipeg Police Association, which is the police union, has long trafficked in in very racialized discourses of of threat and violence and danger uh, as a strategy of attaining you know greater funding and resources and powers. And so we can see in this one situation um, strains of like implicitly racialized politics like there's the there's the implicit call for austerity in carceral facilities um, as if prisoners shouldn't have access to decent food or exercise equipment. and as we know, especially in the prairies, incarceration is is overwhelmingly um, uh, involving indigenous peoples.
0: The implication, too, from the the cop union president that like these that that like people who are being imprisoned are like being fed like protein powder and like you know tuna exactly. fish and eggs yeah, and they're yeah, getting yeah, yeah, super tall. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, and and then there's yeah, I, I think like building on that, there's there's this discursive construction of like the incarcerated or or criminalized body in in similar language to to what we hear um, from the states, you know, in terms of like the quote unquote super predator, like just this, this invoking of of like you say this, like incredibly um, threatening, um, large uh, uh, person, um, racialized uh, person specifically. And so I, I think it like quite acutely represents the way that policing, just like the military or, or the security state, um, relies on the constant expansion of, of supposed threats to the, to the body of the individual officer, um, who, of course, in, in their mind represents the quote unquote thin blue line between civilization and anarchy or however they conceive of it. Um, so we, we can talk about this more later, but this is this is what um, anthropologist Joseph Maskow, who writes about the U.S. national security state, um, describes as a as a permanent war posture. And so there, there's never any possible end to policing or, in his case, you know, um, securitization um, and and you know anti-terrorist measures and all that kind of stuff within this discourse. It only ever increases um, as as the physical size and bulk and threat of of the racialized. Um, prisoner increases um i think really importantly um and i'll I'll let you get another question in a second but um i think it positions the the physical and the emotional body of the police officer at the center of the conversation um, which is really what drives all policing politics And, and most obviously we see this in every justification for when um for when police murder someone, usually an indigenous or black person. And the basis is almost always supposed fear for their own safety or the safety of others. Like that's 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 the language which is used to justify lethal force. Um, and so in terms of the, the the police union itself, I think the power of the Winnipeg Police Association or, or police unions across the country comes in many ways from this seemingly small or irrelevant um, incremental approach in which they constantly weaponize media and, and frankly, white supremacist fears to gradually advance their cause over time. And of course, there are the very spectacular, um, horrific moments of, of police violence um, that we see on a very routine basis. Um, but at the same time, I think it's really important to pay attention to the ways that um, the police unions will just gradually, incrementally um, try to cultivate this, this, uh, this feeling and this affect of of um racist uh, anxiety
0: yeah i mean you don't use the term in your piece but like this is this is copaganda that we're talking about and specific the specific yeah. the specific brand of copaganda that we're talking about is police union copaganda which is as, as i think your piece mm-hmm. ably demonstrates and goes into great detail is is one of the most pernicious and powerful forms of copaganda mm-hmm. right Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, your piece keeps coming back to this embattled heroes narrative, right? Like the cops are simultaneously incredibly powerful and incredibly weak and they always need protection and they always need increased resources. And like, you know, police budgets are just like, you know, the rent, you know, like they always go up, they never go down. And Mm -hmm. And we have seen, you know, the Winnipeg Police Association, and here in Edmonton, the, the same, the, the Edmonton Police Association. I mean, it, it, they pick different issues. They're obviously responding to the zeitgeist of the moment. But like mm-hmm. here in Edmonton, we've seen police constantly beat the drum in the news and on social media about uh, kind of two big narratives, like crime and disorder on public transit, and like increased gun violence and gun seizures. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this in your in your piece, you go into this like an alleged attempted robbery of an off duty cop going to his car near police headquarters, like is one of this like f- foundational mm-hmm. kind of myths that they use to be like, well, we need, we need more money. We need, we need more this, that, and the everything.
1: Yeah.
0: I suppose my question here is like this question of police budgets. It's, it's not just in the context of a police union. It's not just uh the budget is kind of an inexact large number. What we're talking about here is is a collective agreement, right? Like these cops actually want to make gains at the negotiating table.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely it. Um, and they they have been wildly successful at this over the years, um, as you mentioned the the constantly skyrocketing police budgets in, in Winnipeg and, and elsewhere. Here, um, around eighty five percent of the now three hundred twenty million dollar a year police budget goes to salaries and benefits um and the one pipe police budget has increased from what was then 16.9 percent of the municipal operating budget in the year 2000 and it's now 26.8 percent um this year and so it is it's increasing obviously in in mass but also the actual um percentage uh, of the budget that that it represents um and so like we know that uh know i kind of got this in in the in the first because this is the second piece of a two-part series and and part of the reason that they've been quite successful at this is because um they gave up the right to strike in exchange for um binding arbitration and so i I won't go too into the details with this but the binding arbitration process um means quite crucially that um that's what happens uh in other comparably sized cities so this would include edmonton i assume um factors into to the arbitrator's decision about uh, awarding um, budget increases or, or more specifically salary uh, increases to, to the Winnipeg Police Association. And so as a result, um, more than 1,000 cops in Winnipeg now make over $100,000 a year. Um, many rack up massive bonuses um, through so-called special duty policing. So this is when they work overtime at Grocery stores, you know, Winnipeg Jets games, uh, liquor stores, um, so on, and and very very importantly, all of that is uh, pensionable earnings, um, which which became an issue um, quite recently. And so, so the key tendency that I identify in the piece that accounts for this success is, you know, like there's there's clearly the binding arbitration um, at play, but but the the reason that this is sort of socially or discursively um, successful is that the, the the police union has been able to turn almost any situation into an appeal for more funding um, resources and power. So, so you bring up the the parking um, uh, situation, which actually very recently flared up again, like uh, maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, where the, the WPA once again, um, you know, really pushed um, for, for their secure, safe uh, parking, underground parking, all that sort of thing. The downtown police headquarters, and once again, they're they're invoking the same um, constant threat to to the bodies and to the lives of of police officers and and their inherent right to to park uh, in in a safe location. And I, I assume it's the same in Edmonton, um, but a, a a significant number of uh, officers don't live in Winnipeg; they live in like surrounding communities. And if they do live in Winnipeg, they live on like the suburban fringes. Um, and so I think. You know, I won't get into detail on that, but I think that sort of like factors into to this uh, sort of thin blue line mentality um, that it is like a war zone that you're entering and then exiting. And so I think the safe parking kind of plays into that. Um, but more generally, like it really and this is something I tried to get in, in the piece is like it really doesn't matter how badly police fail to keep people safe. And, you know, we can talk about whether that's a failure or success depending on how we define the work of police, but police unions will always manage to, to leverage it into a case for lack of support. So probably the most heinous example of this that I mentioned in the piece was a situation in the early 90s um, when there was a trial of three members of the Manitoba KKK um, and they were being um, tried for... Um, for, like, threatening genocide, um, and the trial was called off uh, due to a botched investigation by Winnipeg police, and in turn, the, the, the police union uh, explicitly blamed it on lack of, quote, manpower equipment and training. Um, so once again, we just we just see this moment where there's just just this extreme example of, of of failure to do what it is that they think that they do or what they say that they do, and they they just use it as an excuse to, to call for more funding. Most recently, and and I'm sure this is the case across Canada, um, is with the fascist occupations of of Winnipeg's downtown, um, absolutely failed, or once again, depending on your metric of what police do, uh, succeeded at at protecting the fascist occupation and. Um, really enraged uh, a lot of people um so you know just just to summarize like i i I think they've been very very successful um at this sort of gambit uh over the decades as as evidenced by the constantly rising police budget but I will say that it seems like and this isn't sort of some sort of uh like quantitative survey data, but it does seem that people in Winnipeg are getting somewhat tired of this game um like I mentioned the secure parking facility. Um, there's, there was the fascist occupation. There's just like, I think there's this overall sense that, that the police union is never going to let up in its demands. Um, and we see like um, disagreement from politi- like civic politicians for the first time in a long time. And a lot of this is to do with abolitionist organizing by the likes of Justice for Black Lives, um, Winnipeg um, and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, all of this is to say that they have been very successful at it. But I think... Um, you know, they, they may have pushed it a bit too far and in conjunction with like the really courageous and important, um, abolitionist organizing that's happening in Winnipeg, uh, I, I think, I think the needle may be starting to move, but we can talk about sort of future struggles, uh, later in the conversation.
0: I mean, to follow up on your, your earlier point in that is that, uh, there was a report that came out literally just last month in April, uh, that. A slim majority, fifty-three percent of sworn police officers in the Edmonton Police Service, uh, do not live in Edmonton. (laughs) They live outside of Edmonton. (laughs) (laughs)
1: There we go.
0: Uh, And and I I got I come back to the money. Like the money is is it's always important to just hold in your mind how much money a cop makes. Uh Edmonton has the highest paid police in Alberta. I have I have done the analysis. I've pulled the relevant information. A, a fifth year constable with the EPS makes $50.89 an hour. That's wow. before overtime. Does not include pension or benefits, which are considerable. Uh, you know like you need a high school diploma to become a police officer. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know when you compare what cops make compared to either their first responder other first responders firefighters and paramedics or other city workers again it 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 shows how much power and influence the cops have been able to create for themselves mm-hmm. Uh and and the important role that they play for the rich and powerful obviously as well if we're going to do some material criticism and analysis uh you know like a a firefighter you know averages or i can't i don't have the the chart in front of me but it's like around five dollars less an hour paramedics oh man paramedics make so much less than cops Mm -hmm. and to be an advanced care paramedic it's like three years of school uh you know, like they actually have training, they're saving people's lives. Like those people make like a, 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 comp, a comparable fifth year, uh, advanced care paramedic compared to a, a 50 year constable. They're making $12 less an hour on a much shittier contract, uh, p- benefits and pension wise compared to the, uh, compared to the cops. Like yeah, the priorities that society has when it comes to paying <laughs> the salaries of cops, it oh, really yeah, shows. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 just as an aside, like the the one thing that uh, consistently happens in Winnipeg, and I assume elsewhere, is, is police, um, you know, uh, using Narcan on on someone who has has presumably overdosed, and then and then, or rather, has been you know subjected to toxic supply of, of drugs, and then um, and then is they use that as like a PR moment, like this is why we need police or whatever, when that is like uh, fundamentally like a healthcare response, right? Which um, should not only be responded to, you know, with paramedics, but also like many other um, public services that, that aren't um, police. And of course, like buried in all that is the fact that the reason that people are having to resort to um, criminalized and toxic supply of drugs is because of the criminalization of police, like the fact that, um, you know, a vast majority of drug use in society is is criminalized and racialized. Um, and and then the, the police kind of turn around and, and take credit for that um, as, as if as if that kind of work, um, cannot, and importantly is not being done by, by anyone else in society.
0: Yeah. Like you don't need a gun on your hip and the ability to meet out violence to like give Narcan to people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've been calling them cop unions throughout this chat, but like cops aren't cop unions, aren't really unions and they're not really part of the labor movement. Like, do you have, we should, I feel like we should develop some kind of name, you know, police association (laughs) is so sanitized it is, yeah. uh, you know, like I, I don't have a good one. Like I sat down for a good like three or four minutes, like while I was writing this outline, and was like, "What the fuck do we call cop unions?" Because they're they're not unions, you know. They're they're not a part of my labor movement, though. They're they yeah. are not not. I th- I think it is important to to just state out loud.
1: Yeah. That, you know. Yeah, definitely.
0: That cop um, unions aren't I mean, unions, I, and that I, if you I,
1: go ahead. No, no. I, I mean, I I haven't um, looked into like the the super long history of of the winnipeg um police association but like i mean there's there's this mythology around the 1919 strike because because police um broke ranks and and joined the strike and then they were replaced and all that sort of thing. And, um, but, but then after that, they, I, I think it was called like an athletic club or something. Like they basically constituted themselves as, as an athletic club. Um, and then it was only in the seventies, I believe, um, that they actually formalized as uh, as a union, which had, you know, collective bargaining um, powers and that sort of thing. But like, I I don't have a specific, you know, name for them, but I think it is a really important point, especially if we do bring in sort of uh, like a materialist analysis of what police do. Like, uh, you know, we can think of like Lenin's special bodies of our men as, as, as what police function as in society. But I think people are often confused because police unions do function in many ways as conventional unions. Like they work to win their membership, Higher compensation and benefits and pensions and workplace protections and and so on and and the police officer within like very conventional strict terms is a worker in the sense that they are paid a wage by an employer. But with that said, I think it's essential to understand police in terms of their actual function within capitalist society, which we've been kind of hinting at, which is you know they exist to protect ruling class interest and in white supremacist occupation and, and private property, although. I think the mileage on the latter point will vary uh, as noted with the whole Connor McDavid laptop fiasco, um, which I know that you were recently posting about um, in terms of, you know, whose private property is actually deemed worthy of response to. Um, But, you know, fundamentally, they exist to uphold class domination, which is inherently mediated through race and gender and disability and so on. Um, And they basically temporarily paper over the contradictions of capitalist and settler colonial rule. So they're, they're clearly on the side of the oppressor. Um, you know, I, we can also see this uh, in terms of the the role of, of police. Um, you know, obviously responding to to indigenous, um, you know, resistance to um, colonial um, infringement on their territories, but but also um, you know, if a labor union goes on strike and if, if they uh, if they strike out of out of turn or in a way which violates an injunction or or whatever, like we saw at the Regina Co-op. Um, uh, the the refinery strike, you know, with the police showed up on mass to that, you know, so like so if we we think about it within within the broader picture of what police actually do, I think it's really important, you know, sort of following your suggestion that that they are not considered um, a worker in terms of any kind of political sense. like they might be in a very strict economy, you know, like if we're just thinking about like the wage relation, then I guess, but um but I think we need to be going beyond that and thinking about the actual political function of of police and society. So I, I don't have a catchy name yet, but I'll, I'll keep thinking on it and let you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and it, yeah, I keep thinking on it, but like, it, it's important to also internalize that the gains that, that police make as, as work quote unquote workers through their collective bargaining rights and through mm-hmm. the police associations, those are quite often gains made at the expense of other workers. Like exactly. here in, Ed, yeah. here, here in Edmonton, uh, every city worker except the cops took two years of zeros, 2019, mm-hmm. 2020. Mm-hmm. Cops got one and a half percent.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, that that, act, that adds up. Like when you take zeros, it's not really appreciated. Like our, our minds don't really think logarithmically, but like zeros have a huge effect on your earning potential over time. And it's like, that's why it's even more insane mm-hmm. that like paramedics have had so many years of zeros as well.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: It's, it is, it is wild. And then, and then here in Edmonton too, like the constant attacks by the Edmonton Police Association president on, you know, with regards to, uh, the transit system, making the transit system Mm, seem unsafe. mm -hmm. Like that is, that is the second biggest line item in the Edmonton city budget. Right. And, and very often Mm -hmm. like that is how big cities are set up. First largest slice of the pie police, second largest slice of the pie transit. And so when you have police going after transit, like it's, there are very clearly, uh, you know, material interests at play
1: here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and, and I I agree.
0: And one thing that really jumped out at me from your piece was just how involved that Winnipeg cops got involved in politics in that city. Can Mm -hmm. you kind of walk us through what the Winnipegs got up to with regards to just like straight up electoral politics, not just your usual pressure and lobbying and copaganda, but like actual, you know, full on getting involved?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is an important, like another important distinction between what uh, most labor unions would consider their political priorities and the priorities of the the, the police associations, or whatever we decide to call them, um, is that, yeah, historically, the Winnipeg Police Association that, had kind of like an ambivalent relationship with electoral politics. Like, they endorsed some liberal candidate for mayor back in the early 90s. Um, and then kind of just like, we're in the background for a while. Like, there's a Winnipeg cop, Shelly Glover, who um, was a conservative MP, and she actually recently Ran for uh, leader of the the Progressive Conservatives of Manitoba, but um, she she ran for mayor and and, and the, the the WPA like briefly endorsed her, but then walked it back because there was some sort of like protest um, from from WPA's membership. Um, so that was kind of a weird moment. But then more recently, like especially within the last decade, they've gone like full throated, you know, like just uh, very very um, committed supporters of certain political candidates. So Sam Cates, who was the Arguably deeply corrupt mayor of Winnipeg for a long time, um, ran for re-election in in 2010. And um, at one of his press conferences, wore like a Winnipeg Police Association um, jacket and made very strident commitments um, to, um, you know, the Winnipeg Police Association's uh, interests. Uh, and the WPA like endorsed him like immediately, like a, a, an hour after he he announced that he was running for re-election. Um, and the the police union provided volunteers um, to to door knock for him. They um, they did radio ads. They um, also um, very explicitly and in a very gendered way um, attacked his um, opponents um, and described her public safety strategy as a quote unquote Mary Poppins approach um, to to quote unquote public safety. Um, but then. So that was Sam Cates. and then Brian Bowman, who is still the mayor, um, about to go out the door, but um, he he ran um, for mayor, and they have like the WPA hates Bowman. Um, uh, there was a notorious- and I don't know, and I don't
0: know Winnipeg politics that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That
0: well or anything, but it's not like Bowman is some like firebrand abolitionist, right? Like it's probably, he's probably pretty tepid, you know, like mild critiques of the police, if any. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in 2019, there was kind of this like interesting moment and it speaks to the political power, uh, of the union was the, the police pension, um, arrangement in Winnipeg is like absolutely egregious. So I mentioned like how overtime earnings are pensionable. So they tried to address that in 2019, but more uh, aggressively, they tried to, to restructure um, the police pension plan outside of um, collective bargaining. So currently, um, like at the time and, and still for a reason, I'll get into a second, um, is that the, the city pays um, 18.5% of, of pensionable earnings um, and members um, of the WPA only contribute 8%. Um, and so that's that's once again to speak to your point that's different than every other city employee and so the city tried to 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 rebalance that so that the city and the uh the membership would both pay eleven point five percent um and this like this absolutely sent uh the the WPN and its membership into like a, a rage which which i haven't seen before so um, so they went, they basically went to war with Bowman, um, over this. They, at one point they, they stacked council, um, chambers with like, uh, dozens of off duty, uh, cops. There's a great picture on a CBC article about this where you can just see them like glowering. So this was like, you know, you could argue that this is, you know, regular union politics. This is just membership defending their own interests. But like, this was a show of like force, like physical force, um, and so it eventually went to arbitration and uh the arbitrator sided with the union, uh, which the union was very happy about, and all of the members got big payouts and all that kind of thing. But they have never let that go. Um and so their their resentment for Bowman has only increased since. But um but yeah, there, there was a there was a really notorious uh attack ad that uh was leveled against Bowman uh, a number of years ago in which they uh depicted a, a a break and enter happening and a a child um sheltering in in a closet and trying to call 911 but no one was picking up at at the at the dispatcher and this was because um Bowman uh, hadn't successfully funded, uh, dispatch or, 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 the police. And so the implication was that your child is going to get murdered if, if Bowman gets reelected. Um, wow. Real, which, real,
0: like Willie Horton, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Dog really, there.
1: <laughs> yeah re- really, really egregious stuff. Um, and they, and like, like with the case campaign in 2010, they also, um, they also did, uh, like another door knocking campaign right before collective bargaining, um, where it was something like a hundred off-duty cops and cadets, um, which are their like knockoff cop wannabes in the city um, where they door knocked and then like talked about how important it is that police get funny. And so like they've been, they've been making like a like increasingly aggressive um, outreach, um, which I think is really important. Um, And, and I don't want to go on for too long because I know that you have other questions, but I, I think that this is I think it's it's really important to understand this as as the police union recognizing and engaging in like a very lived um ideology um within Winnipeg like I think oftentimes we we think of ideology as as sort of something in the realm of thought and you know language of false consciousness and we have blinders on that prevents us from seeing the world as it actually is but and this is true in some sense but like uh I think, in terms of how the WPA approaches, um, you know, politics increasingly, is that ideology has a very institutional materiality, um, and it engages people at a very visceral level. Like it, it, it appeals to people's emotions and feelings and desires and these sorts of things. So, you know, we can talk about Althusser's concept of interpolation, like through which an individual becomes um, a subject through active participation and uh, response to the world. And so, you know, Joseph Mascow talks about this in a different way but by describing what he calls the, the excitable subject. And so, like in terms of the national security state, so like it produces this internalized affect of of um, anxiety and fear, and so I, I think I think this is like this is part of why the the WPA is is engaging increasingly in outward facing politics, is that they they sense some sort of um, pushback to to what they have largely succeeded at um, because of of their support of of Kate's and other very cop friendly politicians. Um, again, not to say that Bowman is some like. Died in the wool abolitionists or anything, but well, I think what they're doing is, and and this is also in response to racial justice movements and abolitionist movements, but they they are actively recruiting Winnipeg's mostly white and suburban populace to to support them and to support their ambitions through the cultivation of conscious and unconscious like fears and anxieties, which are all profoundly racist um, in nature. Uh, and so, so this is like a long winded way of, of trying to to think through like why it is they they're actually responding in the way that they do like obviously engaging in outward facing politics um can have material advantages just in terms of like winning favors but i think it also i think it spans far uh wider than that in terms of trying to encompass winnipeg's mostly white and suburban populace into this uh very like racist and specifically anti-indigenous um uh reaction um and so I, i think that's i think that's part of you know, it may not be like cooked up in a lab in terms of like, this is what the WPA's plan is, but that's definitely, um, the, the function and and the result of this. Um, so that's kind of a long winded response to your question, but
0: <laughs> no worries. I mean, I think the Edmonton police offer, you know, I, I read your piece and I was like, oh yeah, the Edmonton police are doing the exact same shit. And it's. Yeah. Uh, You know, the Edmonton police largely stayed out of the election that just happened, Mm. but they are increasingly becoming very political and it is uh, coinciding, of course, with uh, collective bargaining. Um, Right. You know, we we saw the police union president here, Michael Elliott, file a complaint with the integrity commissioner against uh, Michael Jans, who's a counselor here, uh, literally about like. Twitter posts where he's—it's not like he's saying like a cab or anything. Right. He's just like he's Twitter posts where Michael Jans is making like mild criticisms of the police and like talking about police. Uh, that was apparently egregious enough for the uh, the poli- the cop union president to file a complaint with the integrity commissioner. Integrity commissioner uh, threw it out, thankfully. But uh, the, again, the police union president here, Michael Elliott, has been relentless in posting about transit disorder and weapon seizures. And the Criminal Trial Lawyers Association's Policing Committee put out a release last week that attempted to quantify this. And I'm just going to read from a section here from that Mm -hmm. release. Uh, The Edmonton Police Association President, Staff Sergeant Michael Elliott, has tweeted in ways that appear to encourage increased public fear of transit on the days of council's decision and in the 16 remaining days of 2021. uh, The decision here that's being referenced is the decision to only give mm-hmm. the police a $1 million budget increase as opposed to an $11 million <laughs> increase. Uh, e- EPA uh, in the 16 remaining days of 2021, EPA president Elliot tweeted about transit disorder 11 times. That is more than he tweeted about transit disorder in all 348 days prior to the EPS budget decision in 2021. In March, 2021, the month with the most transit disorder that year, EPA president Eli- Elliot tweeted about transit disorder once. So when when they're not in collective bargaining and when they're not mad at city and trying to get right. and not mad at the city for not giving them the full budget increase that they wanted, they don't tweet about transit disorder. But when it's collective bargaining time and they're mad at the city for not giving them all the money they want, it's time to ramp up the fear. Right. The back to the statement: the amount of attention that Elliot pays to transit safety in his tweets overstates the dangers present and appears to have more correlation with decisions about the EPS with the EPS budget than with actual. Transit disorder rates. This is like textbook, you know, cop union propaganda, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know you're you don't live here, and you're not like in the daily news cycle of Edmonton. So I I, I ask, I ask you, as someone removed from the day to day of of you know (laughs) the Mm -hmm. Edmonton news cycle, that this all seems very familiar, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and that's that's an incredibly damning and and seemingly accurate analysis of, of what's going on. Um, the, the timing and, and the linking of it to upcoming, um, collective bargaining, um, or in this case, the, the, the budget, uh, deliberations is, is incredibly important because it, it always ramps up like this, like on, on a very predictable cycle. Um, we, we saw this recently in Winnipeg, obviously different circumstances. Um, but the WPA has recently, um, gone like full knives out for, uh, for the police chief, um, Danny Smythe. Uh And this has been building for, for a while, but it's this like perception that Smythe isn't standing up enough for, uh, you know, membership, uh, not fighting hard enough for, for budget increases, um, all these sorts of things. And so like the WPA successfully, um, got like a third-party review of like workplace conditions, and 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 the the review concluded that there's you know low morale, and that Smythe is making all the cops sad, and of course um, quote current events slash political mo- uh, movements um end quote was was also blamed um, for this, which which we've seen consistently as well, just like this uh, this constant invoking of like the pressures that police and police unions are feeling because people are like. Uh, criticizing uh the fact that they're killing people um and so yeah like in in this case we also saw this ramp up like right before um their uh their collective bargaining um, agreement expired at the end of uh, 2021 and as they began to ramp up for for a new round and so so I, I think um you know to to your question this is this is very cop union um you know textbook sort of uh response and i i think we see this in in you know in many other Um, You know, parts of North America, like throughout the US, like always seen um, indications that the police are going on very targeted, like fear mongering campaigns um, in response to alleged defunding, um, which which is, of course, never actually happened. Right. But they'll they'll pull the card that like, oh, uh, you know, we've been we've been (laughs) defunded because of what happened in 2020. And therefore, crime rates are going up. But um, however, they define crime, which is, of course, heavily political and heavily racialized um but um but you know as i was kind of as we were discussing earlier like uh the quote-unquote crime rate will go up and the police claim that they need more money but then the crime rate will go down and then the police claim that they need, need more money because like what yeah, they're like, doing is the system working works not working, right yeah the system works never never ends exactly exactly um and so so this is this is exactly what cop unions do
0: I just got into that uh, on a, there was a transcript that I I pulled together of Daniel Smith a friend of the friend of the show Daniel Smith yeah. interviewed uh, Chief Dale McPhee in a year-end interview and it, like that was exactly his what the point his underling made at the like the end of the interview it's like mm. if you were a business and you saw success happening would you just like choke off all the funding and it's <laughs> like okay yeah, but police budget goes up whether crime goes up or crime goes down. I guess right. It's yeah, like exactly. The, the, exactly. The spice, the spice must flow, and the yeah, police yeah. <laughs> budget must always <laughs> go right, up. That's right. That's right. And and to go back to like transit here in Edmonton, like I'm not mm-hmm. going to sit here and deny that there isn't violence on public transit or that that like transit isn't um, a problem. Like we have more unhoused people than there have ever been in the history of Edmonton because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And because of this, this government's, this provincial government's like disinterest in providing housing for people who are unhoused and providing relief to people Mm -hmm. who are unemployed. And, and like the situation is bad, but like when, as a person, when you see a a, a literal, a relentless attempt to spin the transit system as unsafe, you have to realize Mm -hmm. that this is, there are very clearly material interests at play here, right? Like, yeah the police want more funding the cop union wants a better contract and you know they also want to delegitimize spending on transit and mm-hmm. also stigmatize people who use drugs
1: Mhm mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um and and like it's it is really an interesting to interesting and by interesting I mean like horrific to, to watch this um, from Winnipeg because there's been similar things that have happened in Winnipeg in like uh, the last few years like and to speak to that specific point of like trying to uh, you know delegitimize um, spending on other public services like uh, Mo Sabaron who is the WPA president um, actually said a number of years ago um, in response like once again in a lead up to budgets or whatever um, that uh, that money would have to be reallocated from other areas of spending. And so he was asked what kind of cuts could be made. And he specifically said that the WPA wants to see an end to things such as free Wi-Fi on buses, which doesn't exist, bus rapid transit, which, bar- which barely exists in Winnipeg, uh, active transportation, uh, so like walking and biking, which is like <laughs> incredibly underfunded in Winnipeg. And, like curb cuts and bike lanes yeah, and shit. yeah, yeah. 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 And then uh, the reopening of Portage and Main to pedestrians, which once again did not happen and wouldn't have like even cost that much money. And so his, his direct quote is there's a lot of wasteful spending that could create more money to go to things like policing. Um, and Winnipeg's transit system is like horrendously underfunded. Like we don't have light rail. We don't have anything like that. It's just like. It's just buses, um, and even then, he he constitutes this as, as wasteful spending. Um, and just as like one one other like hyper specific example, which which comes to mind, um, and this this goes back to one of your previous points about the relationship between other labor unions or, or other municipal workers and 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 cops is that we know that cops like actively harm other union members. Um, and in Winnipeg, we recently saw this when an Indigenous bus driver for Winnipeg Transit. Um, was returning home like in her north end uh to, to the north end after her shift and she was like quote unquote misidentified or whatever and was surrounded by cops uh, with their guns pulled um and like completely traumatized her right so like that th- this is like this is a this is a union this is a labor issue right like is that um indigenous workers are being like, systematically targeted and harassed and traumatized um, by by police, right? So it's not, like, it's obviously not specific to transit, but I do think, like, that your point about how there's this confluence between um, a competing public service and the people who often, like, rely on this public service um, being, um, being, like, stigmatized, um, especially people who use criminalized drugs. Like, in the washrooms of Edmonton, which they then decided to close, which was, like, an unbelievable decision for so many reasons that I probably don't have to state, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's horrifying.
0: So James, I mean, I know what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, right? Like that situation with the indigenous bus driver was surrounded by cops, gun drawn, feared for her life. I mean, I'm sure it was bad for her, but have you considered how sad and how low
1: the morale is for cops right now? (laughs) That's right. That's right. No, like, I mean, it's, it's been like constant over the past two years. I mean, ever since like the massive rallies in Winnipeg organized by justice for black lives and, and, and the work of um, Aisha Hudson's family um, just to, to, to keep her, her memory and her, and her, her, the fight for justice alive. Like every uh, uh, sort of incident that happens is responded to by um, police doing exactly what you just said. Like just this, this feeling of like low morale and being sad and depressed and having PTSD as if like, People shouldn't be saying anything critical of police and also as if like you couldn't get another job, which doesn't require like the systematic destruction um, and and murder of like indigenous and black people. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 absolutely consistent. Um, And of course, like telling that it's not happening only in Winnipeg, but in Edmonton and elsewhere as well.
0: Yeah, like, like a post-media analysis that came out over the weekend ha- found that Edmonton police are responsible for 30% of the homicides in Edmonton this year Holy so far shit. in 2022. Uh, they've killed four people this year out of 13. And uh, it's very reminiscent of like, <laughs> you know, this, I mean, I'm not the first hack to, to make this joke, but it's like, oh, yeah, like the Vietnam War happened and the like the biggest cultural memory of it in the United States is like of how sad uh, the soldiers were. Mm mm-hmm. um, you know for murdering all those people in a dreadful imperial
1: yeah. <laughs> war. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um and like to speak of another specific example in Winnipeg which I only kind of alluded to in the piece was um there was a suicide of a police officer last year um and in the eulogy or what do they call it, you know, the 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 obituary yeah. rather, not the obituary. Eulogy. Okay. Um, it was uh like it, the the um, like abolitionist movements um, or anti-police movements were explicitly blamed for contributing to the Depression um, or whatever he was experiencing that, that led to his decision to take his own life. Um, and that in turn factored into um, the WPA going knives out on on Smythe because um, he appar- allegedly, you know, according to the union, didn't respond to this in a serious enough way, like didn't visit the, the, the widow of, of the person who died for several days or, or whatever. Right. Um, But, but like, it's just like, even, even in death, like uh, they find a way to, to blame people for, for criticizing um, the, the absolute like heinous uh, like murderous um, institution of policing. Right. So it's like, it, it, it is, it is staggering um, how consistent this is. Um, But I think it also indicates that the work that abolitionists and anti police movements are doing is is getting to them. Like they know um, that that eyes are on them, um, and hopefully, like this pressure can just continue to ratchet up in terms of demanding budget increases or budget decreases rather than increases. <laughs> not not here yeah. to call for budget increases.
0: <laughs> I'm a bold, taking a bold step to call for more police yeah. spending. So, uh- <laughs> That's right. This uh, this system, you know, it, it simply cannot be reformed, right? right. Like, it, it cannot be changed piece by piece to be made into something more humane than, mm-hmm. that treats people with dignity and respect. It is, it is fundamentally incapable mm-hmm. of being reformed, and and any attempt to change it, even in the slightest way, is met with the resistance that we're seeing now. Some of the mm-hmm. most vicious and like and ridiculous and most weaponized kind of propaganda that we've ever seen, just Absolutely. from like. You know, again, no police budgets have actually gone down. In the no, context no, that's, that's exactly of post yeah. post twenty twenty post George Floyd in every major Canadian city, the police budget has gone up.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, like like substantially. Yeah.
0: And so, uh, I mean, I, I think I, I want to. We're getting close to the end of our time here, but I think mm-hmm. you know, make that you make it in the kind of final few paragraphs of your piece that it's like that that police and prison abolition is the way forward. Like what does that mean and, and how does that work going
1: forward? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this, this is building off like, you know, decades of work by, by black, black feminists and, and indigenous um, people in, in, in Canada in the US, and the U S and around the world. And, um, and, and the argument that the likes of like Angela Davis and Mariam Kaba and Ruth Wilson Gilmore make is, is that um, like we know, we know very clearly that um, police not only fail, police and prisons not only fail to keep people safe, but they actively um, make conditions far less safe for, for many, many people. Um, and so we can think about this most viscerally in terms of like the police murders that we've Alluded to, um, you know, in, in April 2020, uh, Winnipeg police killed in the span of 10 days, three indigenous people, Aisha Hudson, Jason Collins, and Stuart Andrews. Um, and so like, that's a that's a very um, obvious example of how police make people, um, especially indigenous and black and other people of color, far less safe. Um, but also like as as you've pointed to i think really um accurately is is that they are the police actively deprive and hoard um resources that can and should be going into other public services that actually improve safety and like every time i use the word safety i kind of want to put it in air quotes because it's been like weaponized in such like a, a a racialized and anti-poor way but like but in terms of actually like providing things that people need to to survive and thrive so like Housing, food, harm reduction, which includes safe consumption sites and safe supply of criminalized drugs, um, you know, legalization and regulation of drugs, um, you know, twenty-four hour safe spaces, um, non-violence um, and anti-carceral crisis response, um, you know, uh, good public transit. Uh, Even things like the clearing of sidewalks of snow, which is like uh, every winter in Winnipeg, I don't know how it is in Edmonton, but every winter in Winnipeg is an absolute crisis for people with disabilities um, or or seniors who use mobility aids because the, the city absolutely fails to clear snow. And so this leads to people with disabilities being unable to leave their houses for like weeks um, or people who, who do like slipping and falling and, and like fracturing their leg or their arm or whatever. Right. So, so like thinking of that as, as a public safety issue, um, I think is really important. So, so kind of like, uh, just like following that idea that like the, the police are currently like hoarding all these resources that that can and should be, you know, redistributed to, to other public services. and And this is something that like, black feminist abolitionists like constantly stresses, it's, it's not just about defunding or abolishing the police, it's about refunding and, and building up um, like community alternatives, right? So like, so that's, I think really the vision is like understanding that the police and prisons don't keep people safe, that they actively endanger people, that they're hoarding the resources that we actually need to keep people um, safe. And and like, and I, I think finally, uh, no, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just end it there for now because I, I don't want to blab on for too long, but I think those are like the really important Points is that uh, yeah no I th- that, think you yeah. ably
0: summed it up and I think you know read James's piece uh, you know if, if you're taking the time to listen to you know 45 conversation between me and James you, you're clearly like <laughs> y- you have an opinion on police and uh, you should be relatively sophisticated now uh, when you see kind of police union statements in the wild and you know mm-hmm. take the opportunity to talk about. Well, why? What did? What are the interests of the police union president when he appears in the media and says X? You know, like they are currently negotiating a contract right now. They are incredibly highly paid. Mm -hmm. Like it's always, uh, you know, repetition is important and consistently hitting, uh, and consistently like knowing what to say when these things are brought up and saying them over and over again so that people internalize that like cops are not neutral actors. Cops are not your friends. Cops are acting in order to secure their own material interests over and over and over again. And they do so through the means that we talked about over the last 45 minutes. They will make you feel unsafe. They will go into the media and and bang the drum of fear in order to gain, uh, to make gains at the bargaining table. And it's important to remember that. So thanks uh, so much for coming on, James. What are you working on right now? Which people know about? Now is the time to plug uh, your pluggables.
1: Cool. Thanks. Um, I'm on Twitter, James Wilt. Uh, I wrote a book about public transit a number of years ago, Do Android Stream of Electric Cars? Um, And if people are interested, there's a whole section on um, the importance of of free transit, which um, I know that there's a great group and I've been working on. Um, and, um, and like the integrating that with like anti-police, uh, organizing. So there's that. And then there's an upcoming book that I have in July, um, called drinking up the revolution. And it's about theorizing a leftist, uh, politics of alcohol, which, um, to me feels sorely missing. Um, so those are the, the, the two main things. Um, yeah, follow me on Twitter if you want to keep, keep up to date on other things
0: and buy James's book and uh book when and his uh, his other book when it comes out later this summer so thanks for thanks for coming out so much on James nice to finally get you on the pod uh, folks if you like this thanks podcast so much for Oh, no worries. Folks, if you like this podcast and you want to join the 500 or so other folks who help keep this independent media project going, it's very easy. There is a link in the description, or you can just go to the pro- progress slash patrons, put in your credit card and contribute. We'd really appreciate it. If you can't, if you don't have a credit card, just reach out to me uh, via email or Twitter. I'm very easy to get a hold of. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Duncan Kinney. You can reach me by email at Duncan K at progressalberta.ca. Uh, if you think I got anything wrong, or if you want to give us money, I, I answer both requests, both kinds of requests. Uh, and I will read your email. Uh, thank you to Jim story for editing. Thank you to cosmic family communists for our amazing theme. Thank you for listening and goodbye.